0: I am,
1: I am one of the 11
0: million undocumented immigrants living in the shadows of the United States. To all to the dreamers, dreamers out there, there we stand, we stand with, with, you. with you. You're listening to A is for America, a podcast from America's Voice, hosted by Joe Sudbay and Van Lee.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome to A is for America, a podcast where we talk to allies, advocates, and experts on the front lines of a changing America. My name is Van Lee, talking to you from San Jose, California. I'm on with a very special Election Eve podcast episode where our Texas correspondent, Mario Carrillo, spoke with Ed Espinosa, who is the executive director of Progress Texas, which has been working nonstop organizing in the Lone Star State this fall. So, Beto O'Rourke mania in the state has been a phenomenon. More than four million voters in Texas have voted early, and the early voting results there are rivaling that from 2016. Derek Ryan, who is a Republican political correspondent, tweeted that more than 8 million Texans may vote this year. That's just an early projection, but that's compared to just under 9 million for 2016 and 4.7 million for 2014. All over the country, there's excitement and record early voter turnout. We've seen headlines coming out of Florida, Georgia, Ohio, Wisconsin, New Mexico, South Carolina, and other places. Youth voters may also set records. This past weekend was of course GOTV weekend and we saw tens of thousands of volunteers across the country go out and canvas. They recruited their friends and families to help flip the house and win governors and Senate races across the country. And we've seen nervousness from Republicans in the last few days. At America's Voice, we've been keeping track of all the incredibly hateful, racist, and ugly ads that have come from Donald Trump GOP super PACs, and Republican candidates this year. And you can view those at our website, divideanddistract2018.com. In the closing days of this campaign, Donald Trump has been running an ad so racist that NBC, Facebook, and Fox News have all decided to stop running this ad because of the way that it demonizes immigrants and paints people as criminals. But commentators have been pointing out that this whole divide and distract strategy doesn't look like such a hot approach at this point in the campaign. The Speaker of the Texas House, Joe Strauss said that quote, the divisiveness may play well in some parts of the country, but it doesn't play well everywhere. It's hard to grow a party when your whole approach is to incite the base. Another Republican, a moderate in Philadelphia said quote, I'm not hearing anything helpful at all. Trump's support among independents has slipped dramatically from when he was first elected. Alex Conant, who is a longtime Republican consultant said that it's very risky Obviously, Republicans who show up at Trump rallies, they love this whole divide and distract thing that he's doing. But he's not going to suburbia because a lot of those policies don't play well with suburban Republicans. It's frankly why the House majority is at risk. If you're in a deep red state, that's great for Republicans. If you're in a purple state or a swing district, it's a problem. And former George Bush political strategist Matt Dowd said, Quote, this immigration strategy that the president is engaging in is a big political mistake. 75% of the country thinks immigration is a good thing. A majority opposes the border wall and separation of families. For every base voter who might be motivated, at least two independents are offended. And there's more. A political story this week said that Trump has hijacked the election and that House Republicans are in panic mode. As some of the quotes from Republicans say, this is not what we expected the final weeks of the election to focus on. His honing on this anti-immigrant message is going to cost us seats. There's another Washington Post article entitled, quote, midterms test whether Republicans not named Trump can win by stoking racial animosity. And this article makes it clear that, quote, by running on so overtly a racially tinged message, The GOP is putting an explosive form of politics on the ballot. If Republicans maintain control of the House, the notion of running a campaign built on blunt, race-based attacks on immigrants and minorities will have been validated. A loss, on the other hand, might prompt a number of Republicans to call for a rethinking of the party's direction, but that would collide with a sitting president who, if anything, relishes over the edge rhetoric. Anyway, that is where we are right now on the eve of the 2018 midterm elections. Our interview this week with Ed Espinosa of Progress Texas is about voter turnout, organizing, and new American voters, especially in Texas, the location of one of this year's hottest center races. Let's play the interview right now.
0: This is Mario Carrillo with AS for America. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, someone who's been working here on the ground in Texas for some time now who knows the landscape fairly well. Ed Espinoza is the Executive Director of Progress Texas. Welcome to AS for America, Ed. Thanks for having me, it's good to be here. Uh, Great, so today we're going to talk about uh, the elections that are coming up, historic elections. Today is the last day of early voting here in Texas. This, you're likely listening to this on Monday, so early voting has ended, but even from what we've seen and what we've uh, seen in the media in terms of voter turnout, we're going to likely surpass four million voters for an early voting period in Texas, how does that make you feel just generally starting off? It's bananas. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, a better pretty, term. pretty good way to put it, yeah. <laughs> Especially considering that Texas has historically been known for um, being a low turnout state, yeah. non-voting a non-voting state. state. Yeah. So we've surpassed 4 million, which already surpasses all of 2014 in yeah. terms of a midterm. Yeah. And we're looking more like a presidential turnout. What do you think we can attribute some of this voter growth to here in, in Texas thus far?
1: So there's a lot of things, uh, right. but you're right. It's, it's 2016 turnout is pretty much matching 2018 turnout right now, which is crazy, not just for Texas, but for any state to see right. the term turnout match presidential turnout. So um, as far as like what's driving the change, you know, the one thing that is always important in a campaign is the political climate. Right. What does the political climate look like? What did it look like in 2010, 2014, 2018? You can even go back to two thousand six, and we have become uh, really an, a, a nation of wave elections. Right. And most elections in the past uh, few years have been wave elections. All again, going back to two thousand six, two thousand eight, right. ten, fourteen. Not so much twelve or sixteen, but like we've had more waves than non-waves. And especially in the past few during years, the midterms. Yeah. Especially during midterms, right? So. I think that that's one thing that's driving it. The other thing that's driving it here in Texas is obviously the era of Trump. You know, you have somebody who has stoked so many fears and said things that people said he would never actually do, and then he's tried to do them. Right. You know, obviously immigration was such a big part of his campaign, and he's actually going—he's trying to go through with all those crazy things he said. And uh, and beyond them in some cases. And beyond them, right? Like, not only the birthright citizenship thing, but the other thing, which is— reviewing naturalized citizens and yeah. seeing if they can revoke citizenship, that's crazy. It is. So, you know, I mean, that affects so many families. It affects my family and people I know. You know, I mean, that, that hits close to home for so many people, of even course. people who don't even realize it. Yeah, right? of course. And that I, I'm sure that's something that uh, that you guys encounter more often than not is that there are right, so many people who are affected by these issues. Okay, so that's one thing is Trump driving these issues. The other thing is that People feel a sense of empowerment right now. You know, it was one thing to resist, it's another thing to go out and organize and make change because democracy is like a muscle. Sure. And it's healthy when you exercise it. Of course. And I think that's what people have been doing over the past year, you know, people who've never been involved in politics, even people who are involved but feel invigorated because they see all the other support around them, people coming in. That stuff's important. And it's not just Facebook and email. You know, it's also going out and knocking on doors and making phone calls. They got these new things called text banking. Yeah, yeah. I've (laughs) I've been a
0: part of a couple of them this cycle. I've been on the receiving end of more than a couple of them.
1: But uh, the the text banking is is important. And um, you know what? I think the most important thing in all of this is you can talk about the landscape. You can talk about Trump. You can talk about the organizing. The most important thing is stuff that you and I are doing right now. The conversations. Sure. And it's conversations that people are having all the time. You know, you used to, you go to other countries and people talk about politics. Right. You come to America, people are like, oh, you know, what are the three things they say you can't talk about? It's politics, religion. Yeah. And, and what's... I, I, I forget I, the third. I, yeah. It's probably very, immigration. now. Yeah. <laughs> probably it's a very Texas thing to forget the third one, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I know. right? right? <laughs> Shout out to Rick Perry. <laughs> but um, I think uh, the conversations are really important. People aren't shying away from them they're talking about difficult subjects and that is healthy. Right. And I think it's driving a lot of engagement and I think it's sh- it's shaping opinions. Sure. You know, because there are people people too often respond to stereotypes or they respond to media imagery that does not accurately reflect the Latino community or the African American community or women or any other community that's not a straight white male, right? Right. And I think that conversations help shape opinions that are more aligned with reality on some of these issues. Yeah, and
0: along with that, so communities of color, you mentioned Mm -hmm. uh, black voters, Latino voters, women voters. Mm -hmm. Um, If you look at the numbers thus far, you can really see that a lot of that voter growth can be attributed to young people. So people 18 to 29, I believe it's five times higher Now in Texas than it was in 2014. 508% increase. 508% increase increase in youth turnout. Crazy. I know, which is amazing. (laughs) I think it has to be. You know, taken in context too, when you're starting from a place that right. wasn't very high right. already, <laughs> when you have a penny, uh, yeah, yeah, you it's have five much, times as many pennies, you yeah, have five cents. <laughs> you, can't, you can't diminish the fact that young people have been more engaged, right, right. but I feel like there's still a big gap to be made up there. Yep. And also, we've, we've seen it in Latino communities, the same is true as well. Yep. They're engaging at much higher levels, but there's still work to be done. But yep. what do you think about the growth, especially in those communities and in suburban communities? We're seeing places that can. West, uh, west of Houston and the suburbs of Dallas, yep. or the growth has been exponential. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for, for the landscape of the state and how much closer we are to making it more competitive?
1: Well, one thing, I think one of the, it's not, I mentioned earlier that the, a lot of these, um, a lot of these communities are showing up because they realize they have to exercise their power. Sure. But there's another thing happening there, which is that candidates are not shying away from talking about the issues that are important to these communities. Of course. Too often, you've had people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a moderate. I'm, I'm a little bit this on this issue and a little bit that on that issue. I think people are over that, man. They're like, look, I wanna know, do you share my values on healthcare? Sure. Do you share my values on immigration? We could figure out how to get it done later, but I wanna know that you're fighting for the same things I'm fighting for. Sure. Are you on my team? If you fight for me, I'll fight for you. And I think candidates are start, have, have come around to that in the past few years. They've realized that they don't have to tiptoe around an issue. They can be all-in on an issue, and even if it, if it doesn't seem like the moderate thing to do, it's not where voters are anymore, right? right? So that's helped invigorate a lot of engagement from these, these sure. communities. The other thing is the growth, Texas has been one of the fastest-growing states in America that for like a decade now. Be, yeah. And when you look at the new voters in 2016, people who had not previously voted in a general election, they, uh, there was 1.8 million of them. Right. million were under the age of 50 that's crazy that's 76 percent so when we look at young voters realize being a voter and being young remember how we said keep things in proportion regarding the growth yeah also keep the word youth in in in, uh in mind relative to being a voter being under 50 is actually being a young voter (laughs) because voters tend to skew older right yeah i know um they they so you're looking at millennials but you're also looking at generation x And these voters in 2016 produced increases in the margins for Democrats by 5 to 1 compared to Republicans. Right. So one of the things you mentioned was the suburbs outside of Dallas. Right. There's Collin County, just north of Dallas, right? Collin County had about about 200,000 votes for the Republican in 2012, and in 2016, they also had about 200,000 votes. So they stayed about the same. They picked up a couple thousand. Democrats went from 100,000 in 2012 to 140,000 right. in 2016. That's not crossover growth. That's just that's not crossover. Growth. That's just straight up growth. That's just organic growth. That's organic growth. So that's people who are registering. That's people who were already registered but were never voting. Right. And let me tell you something else. We talk a lot about the sleeping giant in Texas. Mm-hmm. There's two sleeping giants. There's a Latino sleeping giant, and then there's what I call the new sleeping giant. And the new giant are all those new people who've moved to Texas from other places. Yeah, I know. And they're huge in Plano because the Toyota plant moved there, and not, not the plant, the headquarters. Yeah, It brought like thousands of jobs with it, I think it's three, three, four thousand jobs. With those people came their families, with those people and families came the vendors that support those headquarters. Sure. You have this growing community and you had people who were looking around and thinking to themselves, I don't necessarily identify with what's happening around here, so I'm going to do something about it. And that yeah. starts with showing up and voting. Yeah, yeah. And you're seeing that all over the state. and All over.
0: I think one thing you can attribute it to, and, and I mean, we'd be remiss not to talk about Beto O'Rourke and his campaign. <laughs> who? A lot of, I know. <laughs> I, I can't imagine what we're going to do after November 6th when we don't have to hear his name anymore. No, but he's been great. And he's done a lot about what you've said already engaging new voters, engaging young voters, not shying away from going to college campuses. And he yeah. mentions a lot that he doesn't have pollsters, so he doesn't know whether or not that plays well. Yeah. But he is not the only one who's going to have to rely on these young voters and, and low propensity voters. So. Yeah. I'd like to take a minute and just talk about beyond the Senate race, which is the one that a lot of folks focus on because it's, you know, getting a lot of attention nationally and he's running against Ted Cruz, who's not the most likable individual. Yeah. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Texas 23 to start off with, which is a huge, huge district spanning this from... A, uh, this is the uh, the congressional district from San Antonio to West Texas. Yeah, pretty yeah. much to my hometown. It, it it touches the outskirts of El Paso, Texas. Yeah. And, It's very rural, but it's also Latino uh, heavy. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually a majority Latino district. So we've seen a race there that includes Will Hurd, the Republican incumbent, one who's tried to paint himself as a moderate, even though I don't think he's as moderate as he he claims to be. Mm -hmm. And then Gina Ortiz Jones, uh, a former Air Force uh, cadet and now is running for Congress what have you seen there that the polling hasn't necessarily captured, and maybe even beyond this district, that the polling doesn't necessarily capture? Because we've seen um, a race there that hurt has been able to keep a healthy lead heading towards Election Day, but there, that might not be the whole
1: story. So let's talk about polling for a second, and sure. then we'll segue into this. But polling in, in, in general has gotten harder sure, because we, for so long, have relied on landlines. And then we move over to cell phones, but then when you move to cell phones, you also leave out people who have landlines. So... What's the right way to do it? And what many pollsters have been doing is moving into online panels, Mm -hmm. which is not an online poll. It's a little bit different. A panel is where you take a sample of somebody that represents a community and you get their opinions and it it tends to actually work pretty well, but it, it is a constantly... It is a science that we that is constantly being investigated to see how can we make it better. And mm-hmm. the world is changing so quickly right now that their pollsters are also trying to keep up, like the rest of us. Yeah. Add to that, Texas is a difficult place to to poll because it's not like Colorado. Colorado is a big state, but your opinions you can pretty much figure out what your opinions are on the western slope or in eastern Colorado. But like North Texas to South Texas, yeah. night and day, right? Exactly. How do you factor that in? this district in the 23rd is is a lot like that because yeah. it goes so far from San Antonio to El Paso which are two different places exactly you know I mean, you've got majority Latino populations there but they are not the same no you've got West Texas in the middle you've got a lot of uh, uh, a lot of Latinos out there too also not the same you also have a lot of Anglos out there that those out in Brewster County are not anything like those out there in San Antonio of course so there, there it's it's a The population is complicated, and then you add into the fact that there's not a lot of major metro areas. No. So it's hard to really get critical mass and find out where attitudes, what direction attitudes are going in. Of course. Right? So you have to kind of not only pick apart and find out where these voters are and what they're thinking you have to do it over something like a thousand miles or however many miles yeah. that district is.
0: Do you know how many miles it is? Well, I know that from San Antonio to El Paso it's about 550 miles. Okay, so yeah. so maybe it's a 1000 round trip. Yeah, of course. <laughs> maybe like square miles cuz it goes right. pretty far north, it's pretty far south. It goes down to Del Rio and Eagle Pass. These are small border towns that the issues affect them quite a bit as well, but it's tough for a candidate to make too many trips there, yeah. but you know, I, I credit Gina Ortiz Jones, and I feel like she's run a really great campaign thus far. I think far. so too. Yeah. And, and I honestly think that that the the total or the turnout will make a difference there, and I think it'll be closer than what we've seen in the polling. But
1: so let's talk about Gina uh, yeah, a little let's bit do more. It. So she, like you said, she's she's uh, uh, has a military history. She worked for, I believe, it was the Treasury Department under Obama, mm-hmm. um, and then she moved back home to San Antonio to run for Congress. She is uh, openly uh, she's a lesbian. Um, she is Filipina, yeah. I know. so Gina Ortiz Jones uh, is Filipina, and she is um, she was not the favorite in the primary. The right. Democratic congressional campaign had picked somebody else named Jay Hoolings, uh I'm sure is a fine guy, but he just didn't really catch on the way that Gina did. Gina ran a fantastic campaign in the primary,
0: sure.
1: And it goes back to what we were saying about. Candidates not being afraid to talk about the issues that the voters care about. And I think she really tapped into that She got 45% in like a four or five way race, right? Uh, almost avoided a runoff, you know, just just real shy of that Yeah, But then she crushed it in and the then runoff. she crushed it in the runoff, right? Yeah. So her fundraising has been good um, The enthusiasm around her campaign has been strong. I think what has changed the dynamics of this race Is there was a special election for a state Senate seat in that that underlies that district or overlies? Actually, state Senate seats are bigger than congressional districts in Texas. It almost covers the same ground. It covers almost the same ground. And that was uh, a candidate, the Democrat who had run for that seat had previously held that congressional seat. So he was very well known. Um, In the U.S. House. And he was the the one that lost
0: to Will Hurd. And he
1: lost to Will Hurd previously, so he ran for the state Senate seat. He lost that seat. Now, that state Senate seat is drawn to be a safe Democratic seat. Yeah, Like a 60% Democratic seat. And in that special election, he lost it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that really not only caused us problems in the state Senate here, but it really um, had people— thinking twice about what it means in this congressional district. So I think that that may have impacted some opinions. I don't think it's entirely fair. Special elections by nature are always low turnout. Of course. And that one was real low turnout. It was like 10,000 votes or something Which is crazy. Yeah, something ridiculous like that. This congressional race is gonna have like 150,000 votes. And I believe Democrats
0: are actually pushing to try to have that special election be on election day. Absolutely. A much broader representation of of that electorate. The
1: the vacancy laws in this state are such that the governor can pick any day he wants within a certain window. You know, it's not like some other states where you have to pick a uniform election date. no, this one it was gamed by, by Republicans to be on a day where it would be the most inconvenient for Democrats. Right.
0: They're always trying to make it less turnout mm-hmm. because they feel like that's in their favor. So yep, that's 23, yep. Um, what used to really be the only true swing district in Texas, or at least a lot of folks thought it was the only true swing district. Yep. But I feel like that's changing now. Maybe we can kind of talk about 32 and 7 yeah. briefly and how you feel that those districts are – or how they have become much closer now, the Democrats actually have a good shot first in 32 with Colin Allred. Yep. That's up in Dallas. And against Pete Sessions. And then uh, Texas 7, John Culberson, the incumbent who's running against Lizzie Fletcher. In Houston. Yeah. And the polling there has pretty much neck and neck, dead heats. What do you attribute that? I know we've talked about it a little bit already, but I think it also goes back to to what you mentioned that really running great candidates who aren't shying away from the issues but also might be riding a wave of anti-Trump sentiment. How do you see those districts playing out?
1: Well, it's the anti-Trump sentiment, I think, is really fueled by Democrats who have been showing up and right. independents and non-traditional voters who have been showing up. It's not so much Republicans crossing over. Texas Republicans love Donald Trump. You know, yeah. he's, just his, he, he's, the, he's exactly what they were looking for, but their, their base is not growing. Yeah. Republicans in Texas haven't really expanded their vote share in this state since 2004. Right. Which is crazy when you think about how much this state has grown. But Donald Trump only got 150,000 more votes than George W. Bush did in 2004. Right. And in, in governor's years, they generally pick up about 70,000 votes per cycle. So, they've also only picked up about 150,000 votes since 2006 right. in a midterm. So we'll really see how that works out this year. Maybe they're increasing their vote with this high turnout or maybe it's gonna be a landslide, we don't know. Right. Uh, but as far as what the, what's happening in these two congressional districts, they've been changing for a while. Mm-hmm. And Hillary Clinton won both districts. Yeah. And I think that that's an important key with both of these. Down in Houston, Culberson's district and in, in, um, congressional district seven, Lizzie Pinnell Fletcher is running, she's been running a very strong campaign, uh, well-funded, well-organized, lots of support from national groups, lots of support from the grassroots in in her area. And uh, that is a very close race, but it was also very close uh, two years ago when Clinton won it. I think Clinton won it by like two points. Yeah,
0: but then Culbertson hasn't really had a
1: a a real opponent. And that's one thing that's different in a lot of these races is that we haven't been able to field a lot of candidates in some of these races for many years because... People just kind of respond to the idea that, oh, it's Texas. Texas is going to go one direction. Why bother? And then an election comes and Clinton wins a district by two points that has a Republican in it. And people are like, oh, Oh, damn, should have run. Right? Yeah. So that's what you're seeing in Houston's district in CD7. You're also seeing that up in Dallas. Yeah. And Dallas is where you're just, just exploding with growth right now. Again, where I was talking about with Collin County, which is just north of Dallas and that Toyota headquarters, yeah. all these people moving in from other places, but also people who just haven't been engaged before, and they don't like what they're seeing around them, and they want to do something about it. Sure, Dallas typically leaves the most amount of Democratic votes on the table in a midterm. Wow. they have the highest drop-off from a presidential to a midterm. And so I think people are realizing now that they have some power they need to exercise, right. and they're doing it. So the other candidate up north in the 23rd, is Colin Allred. 30 30 second. Sorry, 30 second. Uh, uh Texas 32 is Colin Allred, who used to be a football player, uh went to college here in Texas. I am forgetting off the top of my head where he went to school. We'll figure that out. We'll add it later. Uh, he went he played ball here and uh then he went and played in the NFL for a couple of years, came back, uh went to law school, got a law degree, worked in the Obama administration then decided to come back and run for the seat. And he's run a great campaign. He has. He yeah. really has. I mean, he's a really engaging candidate. Um, you know, he's, he really uh, takes on the role quite well. You know, yeah. He's got the right personality for it. People really uh, take to uh, kind of like, they like him a lot. For, for, sure. Yeah. for sure. And I think likability is a big deal because you have a lot of these, these members of Congress who have just been there for so long. They're not used to engaging with constituents of who think differently than they do. Um, you see that a lot with Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz doesn't even answer his phone, he's just a, he's, and his staff is just afraid to talk to anyone that doesn't think the way they think. So you have so many Republicans just straight up unlikable, and part of it's because they don't know how to relate to anyone that doesn't look like them. Of course. And, and they haven't had to run a campaign, so they don't know what to do. They're panicking. They're
0: panicking. They really are. But so, yeah, I have some numbers here super quickly okay. from Collin County. This is according to the Texas Tribune who's mm-hmm. been keeping track. Their turnout is already at 40%. Collin County, this is the, the county you were mentioning. Yeah, just north, north of Dallas. north of Dallas, Dallas right. is going to be key to that one. And Dallas County, you mentioned it has a really big drop off normally. Yep. They're keeping up with 2016 right now. They're That's at 32%. Great. Uh, this was as of yesterday, so this doesn't include the final day uh, of early voting. Yep. And in 2016, they were at about 34%. So they're only two percentage points off from where they were in 2016. So we're seeing numbers that are presidential yep. that have to vote well. For Democrats, and again, you mentioned it might mean that this higher turnout is is good for both of them, for both parties, and we see just record turnout both in Republicans and in Democrats. But I've always thought that in order for Democrats to be competitive here in Texas, we need to see record-breaking turnout. Absolutely. And we're seeing that now. But um, going back to the Senate race for a minute… And maybe we can close off on, yeah, let's on, talk, on, on this let's talk. Let's talk about Beto. Yeah. I feel like let's we, talk about I feel Beto. like people are waiting to hear about Beto. We haven't talked enough about him. It's been a wonderful <laughs> race. I remember when he began his campaign, I believe it was almost two years ago now, 21 months ago. And yeah. no one really knew who he was. And now mm-hmm. he's campaigned in every single county of, of the state. He has drawn gigantic crowds. He has had so much support everywhere he goes and even beyond in, around the country. He's been able to raise money unlike we've ever seen before, highest fundraising totals that we've seen for a Senate race ever. Yep. And now we are down to actual votes being counted. And we talk generally here in Texas that Republicans start off with a, a gap of about 800,000 to a million votes mm-hmm. in, in terms of total turnout. So how do you think his campaign will do ultimately in trying to close that gap? And then after we talk a little bit about his campaign, and how we feel it'll, it'll turn out on Tuesday, we also need to start thinking about the future of Texas right. and how we take on the infrastructure that his campaign has built, but not only his campaign, there's been a lot of great organizations, Move Texas comes to mind, Jolt comes to mind, Mi Familia Vota, who've done fantastic work in Houston, yep. folks up in Dallas, grassroots leaders who have really uh, been a support system to his campaign by registering tons of folks, but now we're down to votes. How do you see, this race shaping up as we head into Election Day on Tuesday, given what we've seen
1: um, in early voting numbers as of now. So I don't I don't doubt. I have no doubt that Beto is going to narrow the gap right. between Democrats and Republicans. The numbers support it. When you see young voters turning out at a rate of 508 percent and older voters turning out at a rate of 162 percent, just right. in terms of that, that math just indicates there's going to be a narrowing of the gap. Can he win? I have always thought and I continue to think that he can win.
2: Yeah, and I too. get
1: I get this question all the time. Do you think that guy Beto really has a chance? That exact quote, I get it all the yeah. time from people out of state, sure. even in state. Do you think that guy really has a chance? I absolutely do. And I think it's because there are so many new voters, the new giant, the sleeping giant. I don't think that demographics are anything other than statistics on a page. Sure. Right? You really have to motivate people and engage them and get them to show up. And in 20, 2016, they did that. And in 2018 not only has the climate been such that people have been engaging and taking, you know, trying to really go exercise their their democracy, but you've had inspiring candidates like Beto O'Rourke who have run well-funded campaigns, well-organized campaigns. We thought it was a little crazy to go to 254 counties, but I'll tell you what, man, I've been knocking doors since August, right? not just for Beto, but for lots of candidates. and. The the impact you uh, you have on a voter when they see you came to their house to talk to them about something, there's nothing else like it. Right, that's and huge. It's huge. It's not as power. It's it's not as uh, efficient yeah. as as digital or as mail. And both of those things are important, by the way. But knocking on someone's door is really powerful. And. A, when a candidate comes to you, right. whether a candidate goes to the door, or when a candidate goes to your town, your county, the, the way whole, it, the Feto did, hall,
0: yeah.
1: I mean, there were Republicans saying, you know, we haven't had a candidate come here since the 60s, and he came, and I'm a hardcore Republican, but I went to go listen to him, and I only agreed about what half of he said, but I was so glad he came here to say it. Right, you I mean, know, that's we, big. We've heard stories like that for a year now. In every single county. Absolutely, in every single county. And actually Beto O'Rourke did this one thing it was pretty funny at the at the Democratic State Convention this year. He takes up to the he gets up to the podium and he says, "What county are you from?" And people just kind of blurt out. He's like, "I didn't hear you. What county are you from?" And everybody yells out what county they're from and he says, I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) He was just waiting for that. I do appreciate that he always mentions the
0: fact that he's been to every single county any chance he gets. And and Ted
1: Cruz has been to every single county in
0: Iowa. In Iowa. But not in Texas. That's an important reminder, though. I feel like folks have to know what Ted Cruz's aspirations have always been since he ran for senator here. And he showed that in 2016, and I just feel like it's despicable that he's had Donald Trump camp- come campaign for him after, especially after what everything Trump he's said. said and yeah. done to Ted Cruz. You, know? you can't just put that kind of stuff behind you. We I feel. made a
1: video here at Progress Texas about all of the things that Donald Trump said about Ted Cruz. Yeah, and we did it because Ted Cruz had wrote a glowing portrayal of Donald Trump earlier this year. Yeah, about him making the Time Magazine 100 most influential people. And we're like, are you crazy? I know. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> do you that? have no dignity in You have no backbone? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah. we were talking about Beto and having a chance. I think he can do it because I think that he has been talking to people. He's been connecting with them. The electric here has been changing for a while. Yeah. It has been growing for a while. This is not a thing that's been happening overnight. You know, I mentioned earlier that Republicans have only picked up 150,000 votes since 2004. Democrats have picked up a million. Yeah, and that's that's overlooked a lot. Democrats had, I want to say, uh, I I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head. We were in a bigger hole than they were for sure. For so sure. we have we had a, a lot more to overcome, but. Since 2000, from 2004 to 2016, Democrats picked up a million votes, whereas Democrats, uh, Republicans picked up 150,000.
0: So that's like a little bit of the closing of the gap I'm talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely.
1: Yep. And, and and I don't actually agree that we have an 800,000, a million vote gap to close in 2018. Okay. I think we have a half million vote gap to close. Okay. And when you look at it in that through that lens, it becomes a lot more approachable. Sure. Be, it seems a lot more feasible that we might actually get there. Yeah,
0: because when you throw that number out, almost a million votes, I feel like it's almost dejecting, like, holy, where are we going to come up with all those votes and for a statewide candidate, right. luckily Beto hasn't really concerned himself with polling
1: or yeah. in terms, of, he, and nor should really, he. Yeah, he shouldn't. It's been uh, great. So, the problem is that people base their projections on 2014, which isn't it was wrong. Ter- 2014. Was the lowest turnout election in 10 years in Texas, yeah, and 2016 was the highest turnout election in 10 years, maybe in history. Yeah, so you've had this huge swing between two elections, and the one we keep looking at. Is the one that happened a, lo- a longer time ago? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense.
0: Sure, you gotta look at
1: 2016 and see how you bring those people back out. Less so about 2014, but a lot of the pollsters they'll say, "Well, 2014 voters say this." Yeah, like, well, if you poll a 2014 audience, you're gonna get a 2014 result. Yeah, that's yes. definitely not what we're doing. So I don't know why. Why anyway? Yeah, but even <laughs> even Latino-heavy
0: districts have been turning out in record numbers. Absolutely, in El Paso County, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I'm sure Beto gets a, a hometown bump. Definitely. Right? I think turnout at the end of the midterm was around 19%. It's already at like 26%. Yep. Just almost at the end of early voting. By the way,
1: El Paso, another place where we live, leave a ton of Democratic votes we on do. the table in a we midterm do.
0: election. So it's Is a really it the, important place to run up the score. I guess it's the second biggest Latino majority district or county after Bear County. Yeah, that sounds.
1: Oh, uh, I would think that El Paso would be higher actually.
0: You think so? Well, in terms of the like proportion of Latinos, yeah, but yeah. I think Bear might still be a Latino majority. Uh,
1: whole number-wise? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're probably right.
0: Yeah, so then there's a lot to do around the border still as well, mm-hmm. which kind of leads me to our, our closing mm-hmm. uh, remarks here on this pod is, where do we go from here? November 6th, you know, it's 8 p.m., mm-hmm. we're all partying regardless of the results. It's still a lot to be proud of. Rather
1: crying tears of joy or tears of pain, right? Yeah, kicking back
0: tequilas (laughs) all night, but um, November 7th rolls around. We don't necessarily know what November 6th looked like, but I honestly don't feel like it matters what November 6th looks like, how we start tackling 2020 and how we start thinking about continuing to build on the momentum, right? So what do we here in Texas need to start doing starting November 7th to ensure that all of this momentum, all of, all of the groundswell that we've seen that Beto has, has led in terms of a candidate, that grassroots um, folks have also led uh, in terms of the, the,
1: the work that they've done on the ground. Yep. Where do we go from here? We gotta keep going, man. Can't stop, won't stop. Right. We gotta think what's the next thing, you know? You mentioned the uh, Move Texas, Jolt, Progress Texas. Yeah. Uh, all these other great groups that are doing, uh, organizing all year round. I, I was saying earlier, campaigns come and go, but we're here for the long haul. America's Orca's Voice, one of them as well. Um, we, uh, we've got to, uh, we, people need to plug in and find what their home is gonna be after a campaign. Campaigns are only part of the process. Sure. you know, Progress doesn't happen overnight, it happens over time. Right. But we gotta keep fighting for it. And we gotta keep moving. You know, if you, if you don't move, you, you you get stuck. Yeah. And that's 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 what we're all upset about right now. This was we're not even just, we're not just stuck. We're moving backwards. Right. So we got to keep working. If the people are working on campaigns, or if they're following campaigns, they got to keep going after the election. They got to find an organization, even if it's a non-profit. You just volunteer to help the homeless, help a food bank, help some Stay people involved. in your community. Stay involved. You know, this is the only way you're ever going to affect change is to keep going. If you're super busy, you got young kids, you got a job, you got, you got two jobs. Give five bucks a month to a group that's doing this work. Give of ten course. bucks a month. You know, just a little bit of something. It doesn't have to be a whole lot because if you if you give if you give, if you give what you're able to give, that helps other people do it, and a little goes a long way with a lot of these For groups. For sure. Yeah,
0: I feel like oftentimes we think of ourselves. Well, I, I can't really door knock or I can't make phone calls, so I might as well not get involved. But no, there are many many ways that absolutely, folks can get involved.
1: absolutely. You know, I, I'll give you an example. Like, if you give ten bucks a month to an organization, that's 120 bucks a year. Course. If that organization sends out a piece of mail to people, that piece of mail with postage and production costs like 50 cents. So for your 10 bucks a month, you're helping them communicate to 20 more people every month. There you and go. that's just that's just a mail example, right? I could do that with digital, I could do it with events, I could do it with anything else. It all makes a difference. The important thing is we have to realize like this being, it's, it's back to what we started. The very first thing we talked about is... Democracy is a muscle, yep. and you have to exercise it for it to stay healthy. It doesn't end when the campaign ends. Wise words. Ed, where can we find Progress Texas online? ProgressTexas.org, uh, Facebook.com slash Progress Texas, and at Progress TX
0: on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining AS for America. It's been fantastic. Yeah, thanks, man. See you Tuesday. All right.
2: And that's it for us on this special Election Eve episode of our podcast. For listeners who haven't voted, please turn out and vote. The stakes are so high and every vote does matter. Volunteer if you can, text your friends and family members, remind them to turn out, and check our Twitter at America's Voice and our website, americasvoice.org, where we will be live blogging with all of your midterm 2018 election updates. This is Van Lee in San Jose, California, signing off for now from the front lines of changing America.